And we can thank our up and coming, engaged and responsible generation for challenging businesses to say, are you just about the money or are you willing to do more than that? Do you realize you have an impact on the environment, an impact on people, and that you actually set the governance structures for society? Welcome to the Inspire Podcast, where we examine what it takes to intentionally inspire. I'm your host, Bart Agnell, President and CEO of The Humphrey Group. And if you've ever asked yourself, how can you develop an authentic leadership presence? Or how can you tell stories that have people hanging off every word? Well, then this podcast is for you. And it's not just for executives. This is a podcast for anyone who wants to influence and inspire others in their work, but also in their life. My guest today on the Inspire podcast is Larissa Maxwell, and Larissa is the CEO and principal consultant of Maxwell Consulting Group, and she joins me from Vancouver, right? Yes, excited to be here. I I know you're an ESG guru, and I know you've started the Maxwell Consulting Group to help companies pursue ESG. So tell me what you do in your organization and what and how you personally came to be involved with uh, with this work. I mean, I would say from a young age, I believe that we're all here on this earth to live our lives on purpose. And we have a personal calling to contribute to the world and be of service. And this core belief has shaped a lot of my life and taken me on a pretty wild ride. I do have over 15 years experience leading high impact award winning projects throughout the world that partner businesses and nonprofit organizations. And in working with these Fortune 500 companies, I saw a significant gap in responsible business practice. What is it? How do we do it? And how do we measure it? So I decided to develop a method based on what I didn't see in the industry and launch an ESG consulting firm or the Maxwell Consulting Group. And so we work across the world to build responsible business practice, or as we like to put it, we build businesses with a soul. (laughs) I love the tagline. I love it. And I think, you know, it's great, great to have you on because this topic, I mean, of ESG is, and it, and just so people may not know what ESG is, they may hear the buzzword. Just can you define that for us? Absolutely. ESG stands for Environment, Social, and Governance. And it's a philosophy and method of investigating the risk and opportunities in an organization and increasing its positive impact in the world. So the simplest way to boil it down It challenges that organizations have a greater responsibility to benefit the world and to ensure their business activities don't cause harm. So, Larissa, that's a super helpful definition of ESG as a kind of all-encompassing term. But I think, you know, it would be really helpful if you could break down, like, how what would fall under the E, what would fall under the S, what would fall under the G? And, And I'll just own it and say, I think my own staff, we first got in contact with you because the Humphrey Group, which is getting more passionate about bringing ESG into our business, called you to ask this very question. So yeah, please do uh, give us some clarity on those three categories. So ESG engages like a very specific set of criteria, or as I mentioned before, it's called materiality. And each organization was going to look through a broad set of categories and identify which is most relevant to them. So let me give you some examples. Under E, or environment, we may look at climate change and pollution mitigation, Mm -hmm. carbon footprint, water usage, environmental justice, and even the land rights of Indigenous people. Under F, we could dive into labor standards, health and safety, 
justice, diversity, equity, inclusion, accessibility, uh, ethical storytelling, and community impact. Whereas under G, we might look at board composition, compensation, political lobbying and procurement practices, risk and tax strategy, and responsible investing. So Bart, when your team called me, we looked at these and we talked about what's popular. You know, mm -hmm. everyone's talking about becoming B Corp or certifi certified or sustainable. And I said that my understanding of the great work of the Humphrey Group was that you're in the business of supporting and building people. And so the most relevant categories for you that we'll probably look at first would be under F, mm -hmm. under social. There most likely would be some categories under E and G, but we want to start with what's most material and relevant. And then we're going to use some frameworks. So you might have heard of some of these like sustainable development goals mm -hmm. or principles of responsible investment or CDP disclosures or gender equity index. There's hundreds of really verified tools that we would then kind of look at each area, do some assessment and start building your strategy around that. And I think that's really helpful because what you're saying is that ESG is not one size fits all. For each company you have to look at or organization, what will be most material, what would be most impactful and design your strategy accordingly and even choose certain tools accordingly. Is that right? Definitely. And I would say in my experience before I even launched this company, it's really helpful to have a third party look at this with you. Because you might look internal and say, we're all about this. We're all about this. But externally, it doesn't align with your brand. So if you were to say, we are all about this particular topic and issue, and we are just like really going to move into it. But then externally, people are confused as to why you care, let's say, about your supply chain, but you don't care about your labor standards here in Canada for your staff that work in your offices. Right. You have to be careful, and that's why it's really important to have a third party look at this with you and kind of say, hey, there's a consistency or an inconsistency with your brand that's going to affect how stakeholders view your work in this area. And that's important, too. Yeah, and I th that's, a, that's a great definition. I would have expected nothing less from someone who has a company that <laughs> helps companies uh, bring an ESG philosophy. And I think it's something that, you know, having been in the corporate world for two decades, it's really a nice shift from the old, you know, stakeholder, shareholder focus, you know, where it was just about the stock price at all costs. And now, you know, the sense that companies have to consider more uh, of the world around them. And and so great to have you on to talk about how you, you know, what is ESG how and how companies pursue it? How do you build businesses with a soul? And then, you know, maybe for people listening, of course, there might be some people involved in ESG initiatives. They might sit on the committee. They might, but I think a lot of people are just wondering, hey, you know, this idea of bring purpose, bring an impact beyond the work I do day to day, it really is resonating. So I think maybe the last thing we can tackle is how do you bring that kind of leadership into your own work and life? So let's um let's start with I know you defined ESG. Why do you think companies are doing it, you know, because I think some people might say, oh, you know, this is just greenwashing, if you will. So why do companies pursue ESG? I mean, there's multiple reasons. And what's interesting is that ESG really gained momentum in the finance industry, mm -hmm. but it's now really growing across multiple sectors. And you hit it on the head. You know, business has been historically known to prioritize profit first. Mm -hmm. And there's this shift to recognizing people, planet, and profit as equally important, or what is known as the triple bottom line. Hmm. 
And so, you know, companies are engaging in ESG for many reasons. Some of it is to do with public opinion and pressure. There is just an increasing expectation. And we can thank our up and coming, engaged and responsible generations for challenging businesses mm. to say, are you just about the money or are you willing to do more than that? Do you realize you have an impact on the environment, an impact on people, mm-hmm. and that you actually set the governance structures for society? And there's also an increase in uh, investors and lenders and insurance companies to look at companies and organizations and go, what kind of ESG strategies are you using? Are you a good investment? Mm-hmm. Or should we consider investing in another company that publicly discloses how they engage responsibly in the world? So this is part of the push of why we see it come forward. Okay, so let's just look at that first reason where companies are kind of called to task by customers, by the market. What would be an example of a, of a story that kind of reached widespread public you know, viewing that led to change? Um, Yeah, I can give you one example. We've seen this in the tech world across multiple organizations. I'm not going to call one out specifically, but there's been severe underrepresentation of gender diverse and female identifying uh, staff throughout Mm -hmm. these organizations. And upon closer inspection, we could see it was really rooted in a lack of investment in girls in STEM, so Mm -hmm. science, technology, engineering, and math, and also some barrier-ridden pathways to overcoming hardship to enter the field. It just was becoming really impossible to get there. And so we saw this real challenge put forward to these organizations to say, it's actually your responsibility Mm. to break down those barriers. It's your responsibility to look at your pathways into your industry and invest in communities as young as elementary school. And so now we see that sector as a whole shifting their approach, their community investment. They're looking inward at their own company cultures, their benefits, their gender equity, their board composition. And we're really starting to see the dial move. Hmm. And so often what happens, and it can come from inside an organization, but it can also come from real generational movement. And we're seeing that. We're seeing, I don't want to you know, say younger, but definitely younger generations going, hey, we expect more from this organization. Hmm. And that often is the impetus to engage and look really critically at your responsible business strategy. So having that pressure can can lead to change. And then also, as you said, you know, trying to kind of become the preferred choice for investment. Um, mm-hmm. So it's like reactive. You can react when people shame you. You can be you know, proactive if you're you're leading the way or you can kind of make yourself a financial choice. So let's imagine an organization feels like for whatever reason <laughs> you should be doing that. How do you go about it? Like what what do you start doing if you were sitting at the table, and I guess you do, with a company that said, hey, we're ready for whatever reason. How do you actually begin to become a company with a soul? We look at both, and I don't mean this in a negative way, but there's sort of a reactive and there's a proactive approach. So you ask for an example, but usually reactive approaches um, or what's known as improvement-based approaches is where ESG strategies are developed for existing companies that did not include this in their initial design. And so now they're facing a challenge and or they want to level up this practice. Mm -hmm. And so that kind of strategy is going to start from the inside out. You're going to reevaluate your business model. You're going to look at mitigating risk and harm. You're going to realign your future direction with measurable outcomes you can actually report to others. Mm -hmm. Um, It's really important if you're in this reactive place or you've been called out that it's not done from a place 
of just trying to virtue signal or greenwash mm-hmm. or engage in slacktivism, you really need to engage some humble inquiry and authenticity uh, to show that you really mean it. Hmm. Um, there's also proactive approaches or what we call foundational. And this is where ESG is incorporated right into the bedrock of operations, investment practices, screening, reporting, community involvement. So it's often in the first five years of an organization, or let's say an organization merges or expands. Mm -hmm. It's assorted in those initial stages. Uh, Sometimes this is called shared value. It's basically a business that's designed from the get-go with multi-purpose of people, planet, and profit in the very foundation. So to give you a quick example, we see this happening in the apparel industry, which is often known for very exploitive supply chain practices. So we're seeing new companies who enter this market recreating their supply chain. They're engaging in things like just-in-time production, so like Zara does this, Mm -hmm. to decrease the amount of waste they're accumulating through apparel um, uh, orders, and investing in migrant worker leadership and much more. So we're seeing kind of both of these reactive and proactive approaches. Hmm. So it sounds like you're you're saying if you're sitting at the table with a with a company or a leadership of a company, you're saying don't rush. Like if whether you've been shamed or you've made the decision, this is not going to be kind of a quick decision that you really have to begin with with almost a strategy that infuses your whole business. Is that right? Absolutely. Our company, we created a four-tiered framework, and this isn't just to create work. It's because <laughs> it's really what's necessary. Usually, we need to do some discovery. Then we dive into some research work that's specific to that industry and what they want to do. We do development, and then we prototype what gets implemented. Mm. Um, each organization is really different. So we look at what's called material or materiality which is what are the priorities within E, S, and G that really matter to your business? A lot of people say things like, we want to be B Corp. And I always ask them, well, are you, in a, are you in an industry that you have a huge impact in the environment? Or are you in the people business? Or are you a, a much bigger player at the governance table? Let's look at uh, what's most material to your organization. ESG work, I will say, it's not performative. It's developmental. Be prepared to change as a business and as a person. So Mm. it's going to start from the inside out. I always say, you got to make sure your house is in order first. So I'll give you an example. Um, So let's say that you want to increase two-spirit LGBTQAI plus representation in your hiring. Let's just say that's a goal. You want to work towards because it's, yeah, and it's uh, really relevant to what we're seeing today in human rights movements. Well, let's just ask some internal questions. Are you a safe workplace for gender diverse people? Do you actively practice psychological safety in business operations? Do you have a diverse board or is it mostly homogenous? And do you have sufficient benefits to support these folks? If you don't have that in place in-house, whatever external projects you're going to start, they ultimately will fail. So you have to start from the inside out. And then we start looking about your at your external impact in the community. Hmm. And how about what you were saying when you said you, you tell people that they have to be prepared to start from the inside out and they have to be. Talk to me a bit about that when you work with leaders. I mean, I think a lot of people are keen to make an impact on the ESG. How would you advise leaders to begin with that process of inside out? I think ESG is something that lives within a business and organization, but it's about infusing purpose 
And if you as a person, especially if you're an executive leader, if you're not living a purpose-driven life, mm-hmm. um, it, you're really just not going to see congruence and, and you're going to have some problems down the road with what we call the authenticity test. Hmm. And so Tell one thing that. we've seen, yeah, so um, we have actually in our company offered extensive executive leadership coaching because it goes hand in hand with responsible mm-hmm. leadership development. And one of the main things that comes up for our established professional leaders in those sessions is purpose. They start mm-hmm. asking questions like, what am I doing? Have I made a difference? Mm-hmm. What will I be remembered for? Did I cause more harm than good? And many are asking this in the last 10 years of their work before retirement, and they're in a place of crisis and regret, hmm. and they're looking back on their lives. Hmm. This place that they're in is often indicative of a life and work that was not infused with intentional purpose. So the questions we need to ask is, are we just here to make money and tow the company line? Or are we here to enrich our world, make it a better place, and make a healthy profit at the same time? Why not all of the above? So you've got people who are, at, you're, you're challenging leaders to ask themselves that question. Are we here just to make a profit? Are we here to have a purpose? Or can we be both? Is there a is it possible? Is it, or is there some, I'm sure you, a lot of people who have lived their lives with the profit imperative challenge that and say, hmm, we are shareholders or our board or owners or whomever isn't prepared to ex- accept a reduction in profit to make an impact. How would you respond to that? I think that's often a failure of the imagination to think it's a reduction in profit. Okay. Almost every ESG strategy I've ever worked on has enriched all three areas at the same time. I think sometimes we look at it like, oh, we're going to decrease profit, maybe dump a bunch of money and like charitable efforts. That is not the right approach. This is about realigning business from the foundation up and it's actually creating better business practice. So for example, if you have a healthier supply chain, Mm -hmm. your cost in like legal litigation, risk impact assessments, human rights complaints, and so many other areas, it's going to be so much less. Mm. Plus, you haven't had a negative impact on people. It's a win-win. It usually just takes a bit of time to readjust that and to recognize that there needs to be some investment in ESG practices, but it will benefit everything as a whole. There Mm. might be some business practices that you're going to decide we can't do it that way in the same way anymore. Right. But again, we have a pretty creative and innovative world. And we're seeing this even on environmental approaches to business. There are so many different opportunities to engage in business differently. Mm. And so why not? Why not consider how this could have multiple benefits? And you'll see things down the line you won't expect. Things like employee retention because they believe in the purpose of what you're doing. Right. You'll see relationships with stakeholders increase because they believe and they have trust that your company recognizes its responsibility in the world. We see wins all across the board. It's very rare that it results in a reduction of profit. Before you're going to start the work, you've got to get the house in order, your own house as a company, but also your own house personally. Then what? Yeah, so... You're going to look at living your life on purpose as a matter of stewardship and being responsible with that. But then we're going to really look at an ESG strategy. Okay. So we're going to look at uh, really um, using that four-tiered framework and multiple tools to look critically at the organization, 
um, actually get the house in order, start doing some of the work around it. Often means policies have to change, approaches have to, have to evolve. There usually has to be internal staff training, mm-hmm. getting people on deck. But then you go to the next step, which is, what are we doing externally? Mm. Once our strategy is created, how do we activate it? Mm. Don't let this be a report that sits on a shelf or a link on a website. I always say, be prepared that ESG work is now part of business as usual. It's not a special project. It's a framework that's going to integrate into everything. So often um, what companies start to do is look at their external impact and develop what we call impact projects. So we love to come alongside organizations to develop these. And although there's NDAs, I can share with you a few examples of these impact projects that are external and have made a major difference in the world. Okay, great. So we worked with an international ride-sharing app, I can't share which one, but it's a pretty big one, to look critically at responsible artificial intelligence, or AI, and how to decrease the usage of their platform for crime. Hmm. So something that was identified was, uh, that's a bit of a design flaw in how Hmm. it was structured. And so we did some work on this, and it resulted in an increase in reporting crime, in the development of new operational safety standards, a forging community partnerships, and a staff training. Another example is that we developed and are running Canada's first leadership program for migrant workers, Hmm. which supports them to have a larger say and more equity at decision-making tables at a federal government level, which is all about creating healthy Canadian supply chains. One more example I'll share is that we designed a responsible approach for one of the largest tech companies in North America to include folks with barriers to entry into the tech industry. So those, let's say, with lived experience of violence or a lack of access to education. Mm -hmm. And it resulted in the first program graduates of a pilot project, not only being hired permanently, but promoted to management. And now this project is a permanent hiring approach in that organization. It is fully embedded from the inside out. So those are some examples of the impact projects that result from an ESG strategy. So you're talking about how these projects, you know, to be created, they become part of, you know, business as usual. So talk, talk to me a bit about the leadership that's required, because if, if you're talking about business change, you know, changing the way you work, like what have you observed about the most successful leaders in inspiring their organizations to adopt these new ways of work? And, and maybe the, the stories that you use are great examples, because obviously they have been successful in creating lasting change. I mean, there's a few keys. Often the demand for ESG comes from a grassroots level or maybe a regulation level like the government. But I always say it always has to start, and I mean genuinely start, with the executive leadership. So it's really tempting from an executive leadership level to see the reason for an ESG strategy as like competitive necessity, like we have to do it, everyone else, Mm -hmm. and, you know, it's going to benefit us financially. But if that's the extent of your interest, you've kind of missed the point Hmm. altogether. So business on purpose comes from lives that are lived on purpose. So are we engaging in ESG just to keep up with the times and signal our virtue to others? Or are we truly interested in aligning purpose in our work, repairing harm we may have caused, Mm -hmm. and proactively investing as a force for good in our communities? Hmm. So I always say if your process is hasty, like you want this done in three months, or it's performative, like you want to publish it on LinkedIn. (laughs) That's your primary goal. Your results are going to read as inauthentic to your stakeholders. So we call this the quality test, and we want to avoid it. And this is something, Bart, you've mentioned before, 
there's a lot of criticism at ESG. Is it real? How, mm-hmm. how do we do it? And mm-hmm. I always say it starts with executive leadership champions. And the work is, is challenging. I met with a leader just recently. And one of the things I said was this will take great bravery. Mm. And they sat there looking at me going, you're absolutely right. Like this is challenging business as usual. And I had to have the bravery to do that. And I'm probably going to have to change in the process. Hmm. So you need the executive leadership, you need the courage, and you need the bravery. Then what kind of leadership do you need within the organization if you have the, you know, the tone at the top? So once you really have that buy-in, and that means they're going to put resources towards it, they're going to support growing mm-hmm. leaders, then you kind of go to the mid-level, which is you know those who run the day-to-day of your organization. So we often, in our ESG strategy, start to develop Um, engagement groups and advisory councils. Uh, We look for representation and we often, part of our company, is we bring diverse perspectives to the table. So if we're going to look at gender equity, for example, we're going to bring some individuals to the table who really have skills Mm -hmm. in gender-based analysis and looking at, you know, uh, really authentic measures of gender equity. So we start there in some of the working groups. Uh, We also do some uh, non-exploitive research. So meaning we don't just send out surveys and ask people to share bad experiences or what needs to change. Or We actually often do something called appreciative inquiry. Mm-hmm. What could we be? What would you like to see mm-hmm. this industry become? And what role do you want to play? And so we go to that level. And it's at that level that often the work moves forward. Okay. And from there, you start to engage your external stakeholders. So that's where you know, whether that's competitors in your industry, but it's usually those mm. that are your business partners, uh, those that you're collaborating with, um, those that do business with you, um, and those that have a regulatory stake. So mm. that might be the government, uh, that might be, you know, just different regulatory standards, bodies, inviting them to the table to be part of that process and to define what some of the metrics are. Mm. This isn't just about creating some great plan and sounding good. Did it actually move the dial? That's the question I ask every time. And how are we going to measure that? So we set up some uh, structures for evaluation. And it's usually done right at that kind of mid-level, those that are in the day in, day out of the organization. So if you look at one of those projects, one of the three that you mentioned, which one, can you just take one and um, share with me how they might have involved those community stakeholders in the creation of that initiative? I will use the example of the tech company that is seeking to increase more pathways into tech, Mm -hmm. um, especially for those that had barriers. One of the pieces that we did was created an advisory committee of those who had lived experience and or had worked in tech or were interested to work in tech. We also put some really uh, careful ethical uh, considerations in place to ensure that that was safe. But as the project moved forward, we actually had this advisory committee uh, who was compensated, by the way, financially compensated. Mm. We're not asking for free labor Mm -hmm. to really speak into what was being developed. We didn't ask them to do the work that was on the the organization and also us as the consultant company to do. But we brought it to them to vet it, to poke it, to challenge it. And then we actually created feedback loops to show them how we integrated their feedback. That's often where advisory goes wrong. We say we're going to advise and engage a community, but then we don't show them what we do with that input. Hmm. We don't have an accountability loop. And so that's one example. And it was a real key to success in this project 
was to have that lived experience really speaking all the way through and really feeling like there was a place at the table in design without having to take on the full burden of the project and the movement to change. That was our job to do. And so that's one of those examples of how we uh, created one of those engaging structures. I love it. I love it. So what I'm taking away, you know, start, begin with strategy, begin with commitment, get your house in order, then make sure you have the top, engage the leaders at the levels, you kind of middle irritation, and then go outside, like really not just imposing it, but really bringing it to the people who are going to, you know, be impacted by it. Uh, and having that feedback loop is is so critical. Uh, and then also I'm hearing, you know, measure it, you know, so that you can really track the impact of what you're doing. It's um, it's quite a process. I mean, do companies ever look at this and say, boy, you know, as you said, this is becoming such a fundamental change in the way we do business. It's just too much. <laughs> and they don't start? Like, is that is that a barrier you hear? It is something that at first is a little daunting for those who may not have this approach in their skill set. It's actually something we've been strategizing as a company because our our goal is people, planet, profit. Mm. So we've actually been investing in developing curriculum and business schools for up and coming leaders to actually build their responsible business practice so that they're not getting to companies and then feeling like, whoa, how am I supposed to understand sustainability or supply chain or board governance? We're really uh, strategizing to build this at an earlier level Mm. so that it's something that becomes business as usual. Mm. Um, There are times that companies feel a bit overwhelmed, but what often happens is the opposite. Often Mm. they realize how important it is. It's crucial, let's say, to a merger or getting a deal done. So they're like, we're going to do this. But what happens is they go too big, too broad, too wide. Really? That's the problem. (laughs) Yes. But the reason it's the problem is because you can set let's say 25 goals to end this particular issue and to grow this particular thing. And we're going to do it in two years. If you didn't really set your structure up properly and you're going to need dedicated staff to do that, then you're not going to meet those goals. So then what happens is you put all these lofty, like we're going to end this disparity by Mm -hmm. 2024 and then you don't do it. Mm -hmm. It actually looks worse than if you didn't say anything at all. And so what we are often doing is reeling organizations back. back. (laughs) And we say, look at E, S, and G. And we're going to do, depending on the size of the company, we're going to look at an initiative, a policy, and an action in each category. We're going to start there. And we're going to see how that goes. Does it integrate into your company? Where are you hitting barriers? And as you see success and growth, you just keep adding to that strategy. So maybe a few years from now, you've got 20 ideals that you're going to hit. And this is the markers that we're going to get. And here's our KPIs. But in your first few years, you actually need to test your own strategy. And I always say, start small and move the dial versus starting big and doing nothing. I love it. And maybe that leads to our last topic when you talk about the work you're doing with empowering people in business schools and having people kind of develop their own ESG knowledge and compass for people listening who aren't involved, whose company maybe isn't involved in ESG or who it is, but they're not involved. How do you begin to bring that sense of commitment to purpose uh, into your own work or life? What advice would you have for people listening? The best advice I can give is to be a real change maker and champion for like purpose driven work. 
is to start to build your purpose-driven life. Hmm. And so living our lives on purpose really is a matter of stewardship or being responsible for what's given to us. No one is going to lead our life for us. And we only have one life to live. Mm -hmm. So I always ask, what are we waiting for? Hmm. Start with getting purposeful and ask yourself some key questions. What gives me a sense of purpose? What do I want to be remembered for? What impact will I have? And will that impact live beyond me? Hmm. What could I do with my privilege, my education, my skills, and my opportunities and wealth that I am not doing now? And these kind of questions, they can be explored through a bunch of frameworks. We've got a few that we use, like a personal values discovery and use of power analysis and a whole bunch of others. But it also is something that as you do that work, we can start to ask those questions within an organization. And if you have a leadership voice, it's the same questions. And so these, when we start from a place of rooted core values, we start to see transformation from the inside out. I also say that it's really important on a business level, and we don't talk about this very much, to consider our relationship with money or profit or income, whatever you want to call it. I can't tell you how crucial it is. We have to remember that our profit or the money that we generate, it's not a destination, it's a vehicle. What are we going to do with it? So instead of spending our lives just seeking to accumulate and achieve it, I'm not saying that's wrong, but remember, it's not a destination. It's a vehicle. And so what could we do with it? And we often say, you know, some of these short-sighted approaches to seeing business just as a means for profit, it's a failure of the imagination. Mm. The bottom line is there's no more business as usual. Executive leaders are required to look in the mirror and evaluate the business paradigm. It's no longer about the bottom line of profitability, but that triple bottom line of people, planet, and profit. Right. And if you get those in balance, trust me, it's unstoppable. I love it. Well, that's, that is inspiring. And, you know, it's great to hear that you're one of the biggest things you have to do is not prod these companies or people, but really hold them back so that what they achieve will be successful. Yeah, I'm, I'm coming away with, you know, with a lot from this. You know, one is that this is something that is not a cost, but ultimately a win, you know, and it's not only a win for the planet, for communities, but for the people involved in it who are looking for more purpose. So as a leader, it strikes me that bringing an ESG mindset to your organization is just good business. (laughs) And secondly, that it really starts with people's passion and commitment to doing it like that from tone at the top to the leadership that's required, you know, that leadership intention sounds like it's really crucial. So, yeah, this is super helpful, uh, and I can see why you're, you're passionate about the work you do. For people who want to learn more, like what are, do you have any resources? And it could be things that you offer at the Maxwell Group. It could be uh, places that they can follow on LinkedIn. Like what would you advise someone who is looking to start their ESG journey to delve into? I mean, we do put out, we have a learning blog at maxwellcg.com that actually goes through the basics of this that are not tied to having to sign up for any services Mm -hmm. to understand materiality, ABCs of ESG. So I'd recommend that as a starting base, but I'd also recommend four other resources. Um, There is a really great article. um, It's actually from a few years ago, but it it really resonates. It's sort of a foundation for a lot of this. It's called Creating Shared Value by Mark Kramer through Harvard Business Review. Mm -hmm. Highly recommend a read of that. 
And another sort of different reading I'd recommend is something that came out in 2018 from Larry Fink, the CEO of BlackRock, Mm -hmm. called Dear CEO. And it's a letter. And the whole letter is about responsible business. And it is a bit of a manifesto Mm -hmm. for where we're going now. Two other models I would suggest that are really helpful. One is called Donut Economics by Kate Raworth. Hmm. And it really shows us a new way of looking at business. And it happens to be shaped as a donut, which is great. Really? Okay, I love it. <laughs> Memorable. <laughs> Absolutely. And then the last thing I'd recommend, and this is uh, actually homegrown from here in British Columbia, but there's a really great book that I've been digging into. And this is helpful for many of us who've been raised in this profit-based model, solely profit. It's called The Clean Money Revolution by okay. Joel Solomon. And it's a book. And it is a good thinker on this whole area of ESG. I love it. Amazing resources. Yeah, and I know Larry Fink's letter is kind of required reading and it has become uh, all ESG all the time in recent years. So, Larissa, this is this is great. I feel more confident in what ESG is, how to think about it, and also that really every leader now needs to be thinking about it, uh, whether they want to lead their organization forward or be able to talk about their own purpose. So I really appreciate you coming on the podcast and giving me and everyone listening an inside look at uh, at the future of business. It's been great to be here. Thanks for giving some space to have this crucial conversation. Thanks so much. Hope you enjoyed my conversation today with Larissa Maxwell. ESG is such a hot topic, but it's also one rife with interpretation and really something that can be challenging for leaders to understand how to actually implement it. So I think she did a great job of demystifying it and talking very practically about how you can begin to lead in this way. Next time on the podcast, I am joined by Megan Fielding. Megan is an executive at Nutrium, global fertilizer company. And she joins me to talk about purpose and values and how they're embedded not only into the work that you as a leader can do, but into an entire way that you can engage your organization. So really exciting conversation that's driven her career and now the work that she does. So join me next time on the Inspire Podcast.